You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I don't know if you saw it or not, but I almost bit the dust right on those stairs right there. I tripped pretty bad, but stayed upright. You saw it, didn't you? Yeah. You know, over the years, I've told some of you some of my story. I was raised in a, in a home where my, my mom and dad were followers of Jesus. I don't remember my dad before he became a Christian. I was in about the, I was about four years old actually when he became a Christian and he was zealous. He was excited about his newfound faith and he talked to a lot of people about his faith. My mother was a prayer warrior. She was a student of scripture and she is a saint. I got to see her this past week. It was great to be with her. She is awesome. Um, when I was eight years old, I remember getting out of bed one night. I could not quit crying. I go in my parents' room and I said to them, I didn't do it at church today, but I should have gone to the altar. I felt like I was supposed to go, but I really want to ask Jesus into my heart. And so my mom and dad got out of bed and knelt beside the bed with me. And they prayed with me a prayer, inviting Jesus into my heart. I I would love to tell you that all of those years, I walked closely with Jesus. But the truth is, when I got into my high school years, my heart drifted very far from God's heart and the life that he wanted for me. I began to act out some. Um, It was concerning, of course, to my parents. Um... I began to kind of hang with a crowd of people that wasn't good for me. And I'm sure I wasn't good for them. And so by the time that I graduated from high school, uh, I would just say to you that I felt lost. I felt empty. Uh, I felt like my life didn't really have meaning. I, I began to have conversations in my head about my future. They were something like this. We had a family friend and my mom and dad cared very much about him. He did not profess to be a Christian. He did not go to church and they would always pray for him. And sometimes they would invite him to church. And on the rare occasions, he might show up, you know, one Sunday for something. And I remember asking myself, is that going to be my story? Am I going to be the guy that everybody prays for? And am I going to be the person who lives outside of God's love and grace for most of my life? I remember one day hearing my mom on the phone with somebody saying, uh, our new pastor will be here tomorrow. It'll be his first Sunday. They say that he's really focused on helping people come to know Jesus and that a lot of people are saved in his ministry. And I remember thinking to myself, if he can't get me in a right relationship with God, he's not worth much because I'm a miserable mess. I remember driving my car home late at night, really early in the hours of the morning on weekends. And I remember praying to God, God, don't let me wreck this car. Don't let me die. I cannot leave the world in the position that I'm in. You know, my heart's a long way from you. Just give me some time. I wanted to reverse my life. I wanted it to change. I wanted to go a different direction, but somehow on my own, I wasn't capable of changing it. I wanted my behavior to change. And even though I would try and make strides at changing my behavior, I wasn't changing. I felt like I was going down the path 
deeper, darker. I felt lonely inside. Growing up in a Christian home and still living in my home after I graduated from high school, the rule was if you live in this house, you'll go to church. And that even meant on Sunday night. And one Sunday night I was in church. And I was feeling all of this. Empty. Lost. Sad. Lonely. A little confused and very concerned about my future. And an invitation was given to come to the altar for whatever you might want to pray for. I remember getting up and walking down the aisle and kneeling at that altar. And... And that little church knew enough about me to know where I was in my life. And it was like the whole church came and gathered around me. It was almost as if that night that the only thing that was happening was what was happening inside of me. I'll tell you, it was life changing. I was dramatically transformed in that moment. I love to use Jesus words. It was like I was born all over again. I got this whole new life. My perspective changed. My values changed. My thoughts changed. Everything about me was different. I was born again. I got up from that altar and I was so happy and I was crying so hard and I hugged every old lady I could get my hands on. I I was just filled with like overwhelming joy. This was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I knew I would never go back to live the other life again. I was done. So that's an abbreviated version of my story. I think after all of that happened to me, and to this day, I still desire for other people to come to experience what I experienced. My hang-up is, I just don't know for sure how to accomplish that. I want to tell people that there's a Jesus who can change their life too. I just struggle to always know the best approach. And I think you're like me. I think you want to share Jesus with people, but you just don't know exactly sometimes how to go about it or what's the best way to do it. And so we've been in a little book called Bless, written by Dave and John, somebody, I can't remember their last name for some reason, Ferguson. And they talked about trying different ways to engage people to come to know Jesus, but they felt like it wasn't working. And they finally said, why don't we just go look and see what Jesus did? And they learned that his strategy was simple. It was friendship and blessing, which is really the same thing. Because the way Jesus blessed people was just being a friend to people. And so the acrostic helps. And we begin to ask, what if we did what Jesus did? What if we prayed for people like Jesus prayed for people, right? And, 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 and I remember saying to you on the very first Sunday, six weeks ago, when we started this series, I said to you, there may be somebody in your life who has nobody to pray for them. And what if you begin to pray for them? We talked about listening. I quoted you, David Augsburger, who said that being heard and being loved is so close to one another. That for the average person, they are indistinguishable. To listen to someone is to love them. And we learned that Jesus also ate with people. What if we begin to share meals with people? You get to know people really well over a table meal, right? And then serving like Jesus. And then last week, didn't we hear an incredible story as Martha Hiley shared her story of what Jesus has done in her life? Didn't you love it? It was great.
I think the first four, you would say, I'm okay with. Yeah, I can pray for somebody who maybe doesn't know Jesus. I can, I can listen to them and, and hear what they have to say. I can, I can even eat with them. Socially, that's acceptable these days to say, you want to get lunch. In fact, I'm okay with serving them, helping them in some way, doing something for them. But the last one, <laughs> that pushes me out of my comfort zone. I mean, to tell somebody my story of faith, I, I don't know that I feel prepared. I, 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 I don't know that they might ask questions I can't answer. I don't know if maybe a debate breaks out. And, and is it the right thing for me to push my faith, my beliefs on other people? Let me ask you this. When Martha shared her story last week, or when I shared my story a few minutes ago, did you feel like I was pushing my beliefs on anyone? Or did you feel like I was telling you what happened to me? I think you felt the latter. And I think it's what people feel when you tell them your story. Here's, here's the truth of the matter. Our stories, those of us who know Jesus, our stories are stories of brokenness and restoration. That's what our stories are. Our stories are stories of brokenness and restoration. That's what they're all about. I don't know if it's been a while since you've looked at Romans 10, 14. I don't even know if you want to look at it. I'm going to warn you that if you look at it, it's probably going to mess with you some because it's been messing with me. I don't even know if you felt like you're ready for Romans 10, 14 or not. I don't know that I'm ready for Romans 10, 14. I'm, I'm going to put it on the screen. I'm going to say it out loud. You might want to close your eyes and just put your fingers in your ears for a few minutes. If you don't feel like you want to deal with this, because here's what Romans 10, 14 says. Romans 10, 14 says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? You with me so far? But look at the next line. It gets interesting. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? The last line is what messes with you. And how can they hear about him unless somebody like you and me tells them? How can they call him unless they believe? And how can they believe unless they've heard? And how can they hear unless... We tell them. And so you say, Rick, why is it important that we tell them? And here's why it's important. I wish you would carry these words with you the rest of the week. It's important because God wants everyone to have a story of restoration. The heart of God longs for every person on this planet to have a story. Of restoration. I heard Lewis McLean say this past week that God heals broken lives. God restores broken people like Chip and Joanna restore houses. If you don't know who Chip and Joanna are, there is nothing I can do for you. So let me tell you a story from the scripture, a guy who's broken, who is restored by Jesus and has a story to tell. John chapter one, 
I'm sorry, 9, verse 1. John 9, verse 1. Let me put the words on the screen. As he went along, meaning as Jesus went along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Interesting question to you and me, not interesting in their world. This is what they believed. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Did this guy sin, the blind guy, or did his parents sin that he was born blind? And Jesus speaks into their culture, into their day. And he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he talks about we have this short window to tell our stories, okay? As long as it is day, we must do the the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which this word means sent. And so the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Pretty incredible story. Blind guy, Jesus sees him, spits in the mud, makes dirt, makes some mud, puts it on the guy's eyes. Go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. The guy washes, and now he can see. Well, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed, yeah, that's him. Others said, I I don't think it could be him. Maybe it just looks like him. But he himself insisted, no, I'm the man. Well, how then were your eyes opened, they asked him. And he replied, and this is his story. The man they called Jesus, he made some mud. And he put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash And so I went and washed, and then I could see. That's a pretty powerful story. Well, where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now the day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he tells this story another time. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. I washed, and now I can see. We, we grew up with family friends that were more like family than friends. You know what I mean by that? We grew up with family friends who were more like family in some ways than friends. So one of the friends was an older guy named Bradford. He was married to a lady named Mabel. We loved them very much. My siblings, we were teenagers, but we thought Bradford was the greatest guy ever. I was the youngest of the four kids, not maybe quite yet into my teen years, when Bradford got really sick. And he got worse. And he got worse. And I realized he was going to die. And so I want you just to look at me for a minute. My mama was the person I went to with all biblical questions, all of life's questions. And I cried. And I said, Mama, I don't understand it, why he has to die. And then I said to my mother, it's not fair. 
And my mother said to me, Ricky, it's not fair. But life's not fair. And God never promised us it would be. It was one of the first times in my life that I really began to grapple with deeper questions. Questions like, why do some people go to bed hungry at night? And other people go to bed so full that they're miserable and they can't sleep. Or or why do some families have great tragedy in their lives and other families have none? Or some people are sick, major sickness, cancer, whatever. And this other person over here has been healthy all of their life. Why do some people suffer from addiction and other people have no issue with addiction? It just doesn't seem fair. And so when the disciples ask Jesus the question, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? They're really making a statement about what they believe. And what they are saying that they believe is that life is fair. They believe that there was a link between your suffering and your sin. They believed that what was happening to you was a direct result of your actions. In other words, we think life's fair. Now, here's where that kind of thinking goes. If I can be good enough, then God and I, we have this arrangement. That nothing bad will happen to me. In other words, if you continue that line of thinking, you begin to believe that I can control my future by behaving well. Now, you're looking at me saying, come on, Rick. We, we don't think like that, right? We, we, we don't think about if somebody gets diagnosed with cancer or tragedy comes into their lives. We don't think, oh, I wonder what they've been up to. But we do think that way. And I hear it in statements like these. No, no, don't do that. That's bad karma. That'll come back and get you. Believing that if I do this, then these will be the determined results. Or what I hear more often as a pastor is simply this question. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard it over the years. Pastor, do you think God is doing this to me? Do you think God is allowing this to happen because of my sin in the past? Is God punishing me? And it is into that situation that Jesus speaks. And he says, being born blind doesn't mean that anybody sinned. God's not punishing anybody. That's not what God is like. In another passage of scripture, Matthew 5, verse 45, Jesus said it this way. Um, God, um, let me let me get the words exactly right for you here. He says, he causes the sun to rise on the good and the evil. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And what he's saying is that good things happen to good people. But good things also happen to bad people. Bad things happen to bad people. But bad things also happen to good people. And Jesus finally says, maybe you should ask another question. And the other question maybe you should ask is simply this. How are God's works displayed in human suffering? In other words, God wants to write a story of restoration. 
So you remember when I said that God wants everybody to have a story of restoration? Here's why. Everybody has a story of brokenness. We all know what it's like to suffer consequences of our own sin, right? That's the place where everybody says amen. So we we all know what it is to sin and suffer the consequences of our own personal sin, right? Right. Everybody has sinned. And sin has consequences. But what we're not saying is that all human suffering is a direct result of personal sin. That's a result of the fall. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are told, enjoy the garden. God said, it's here for you. Just don't eat of the forbidden fruit. But they eat of the fruit and the world changes. It's no longer paradise. And now what you have is God saying, from this point on, death and all its preliminaries, pain and suffering are a part of human existence. And God has been trying to restore what happened in Genesis 3 ever since. It's what the rest of the Bible is about. And God is now saying, let's write a better story. Let's write a story of restoration because everybody is broken. Let me read you a story. This is from Dave Anderson in his book, Bless. He says, a friend of mine, Jen, used to be a self-described atheist. You with me? You ask her about faith, she would say, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. In fact, she felt that anyone who believed in Jesus would have to be a simple-minded and uninformed person. But today, she's a committed Christ follower. If, if you ask Jen how she came to know God, she wouldn't tell you about the intellectual or philosophical argument for faith in Christ that she heard along the way. She wouldn't say that's what convinced me. In fact, she actually never had any trouble really dismissing all of that in her mind. Here's what she would tell you. She would tell you that a close friend shared her story of how Jesus radically changed her life. So if you ask Jen, you're an atheist, but now you're a follower of Jesus. What what turned you around? What made the difference? She would tell you that a close friend shared her story of how Jesus radically changed her life. And Jen said that she didn't know what to do with that. She said it was just kind of... Uh, There, sitting inside of me, tugging at me. Her story lived in my heart and my mind. I couldn't make it go away. And when Jen wrestled with the idea of a God who loved her, it was her friend's story of what God had done in her life that made all the difference. People need to hear your story of restoration. When you think about the guy, he doesn't really know how it happened, right? He just knows it happened. They start pummeling him with questions. He's like, whatever. I used to be blind, but now I see. 
I want you to hear his story again. The man they called Jesus, he made some mud and he put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed. And then I could see. Let me show you the three elements of his story right here, okay? He talked about his life before Jesus. I was blind. This is what my life was like before I met Jesus. Blindness, brokenness, okay? Then he talks about meeting Jesus. Yeah, it was wild. He did something kind of weird. He spit in some dirt, made some mud, and he put it on my eyes. That was my experience with Jesus. Since I've met Jesus, now I can see. Did you know that's your story? It's my story. Here's what my life was like before I met Jesus. Here's what happened when I met Jesus. And here's what my life is like now since I've met Jesus. Have you ever told your story? Have you even told it to a Christian friend? Because I think that's where you start. I think that's where you practice. I think that's where you hone it, you know? And what if you begin to own your own story? And you begin to tell your story. What if you told your story to your spouse? What if your spouse told your story, her story or his story to you? What if you told it to a friend and your friend told their story to you? What, what, what if the, the, the community group that you meet with on Sunday mornings, what if in that group you took turns telling stories? And what if one day you told your story to somebody who was broken? This is what my life was like before Jesus. This is how I met Jesus and what happened. And this is my story after I met Jesus. And and if you say, Rick, I don't have this crazy story. I grew up in church. So did I. But I just told you a story about brokenness and restoration in my life. And you have the same story. What if you begin to tell your story? And God began to bring people into your life for you to share your story with. And so here you are, you're you're praying for them, right? You know, because God's obviously put them in your life and you're listening to them and you're hearing you're hearing about their brokenness, right? And you're you're eating with them, you're getting to know them, you're you're developing a friendship with them, and you're serving them, you're blessing them in any way that you can. And at some point God says, Tell your story. They need to hear your story of restoration. It's life changing. I want to pray for you. And and as we pray, I'm going to ask you to pray a particular prayer. Would you simply ask the Father this question? God, is there somebody today that I should tell my story to? Is there somebody that is broken that needs to hear my story of restoration? God, lead me to the person that needs to hear my story. You have a great story to tell.
In fact, I think before we go, we should celebrate our story. And so, in these next few minutes, just claim your story in the words of this song.
Would you get the elements that you were given when you came in? And if you did not get them, there's more available at the sound booth and at the back. Feel free just to go. I don't want you to be left out. Um, Don't be embarrassed to walk to them and get them. You remember what Jesus said one day? Remember, don't forget this part of your story. And every time you do this, it will be a reminder to remember what Jesus did for you, how you got here. And so he took the bread and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Take it and eat it, all of you. And then he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Poured out for the ransom of many. So that many would have stories of restoration. Drink it, all of you. And be thankful. So Father, we want to end our time together this morning simply by saying thank you for the gift of your son Jesus. Who made a story of restoration possible for all of us. We give you praise and we give you thanks. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.